you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined by the analytics capper, Albert Wynn. Albert, how was your weekend? Weekend was great, man. Awesome games uh, in football. Went 6-2 and two in football. Went 1-0 and oh in NBA. Kept it light for the weekend. Little sad my Dallas Cowboys lost, but another year, same result for us. Um, but how about you? I'm all right. Uh, you know, the Jaguars tried to end the career of my quarterback the best quarterback in the league in the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, that's fine. That's fine. And, and I, now they have to face Joe Burrow, who beat them last year after being up 21-3, who Mahomes has never beaten. But that's mm-hmm. fine. It's fine. I'm not upset at all. Should be totally okay. Exactly how I want things to go. But that's football. This is basketball. And today is your weekend recap episode. We're going to go over the events of the weekend. We'll give you plays, angles about future plays, all those types of things, uh, as well as, as we always do, we'll tell you who, if we were betting the awards, we'd bet right now but we'll start a little exercise i'm gonna call kicking out so what we're gonna do out this week is it's kickout week in the western conference which has become more and more of an absolute mess the Denver nuggets and memphis grizzlies have established themselves as kind of the class of the conference they uh are up on the third seed sacramento kings by four games the nuggets are actually up five um and if we look at uh the rest of the conference, really, it's like there's a bunch of teams with 24 losses. The Clippers, the Suns, the Wolves, the Warriors, and the Thunder are all at 24. The Jazz, the Lakers, and Blazers are all at 25. And then you have the the Mavericks hanging on just one game ahead at 23 losses. So this is getting kind of tight. But look, we're heading into the second half of the year, and there's all these teams that we had penciled in in the beginning of the year that were the favorites coming into the year that there was a lot of attention on that were the shortest odds And all three teams are kind of in a weird spot. So I want to take a look at those. And what we're going to say is you can't kick anyone out at midseason permanently. So they get to get back in. But one of these teams, the Warriors, the Clippers, or the Suns, they got to go. Like, 
we can get let them back in later if they get it together. But both Albert and I are going to have to kick out one of these three teams. The Warriors lose the Celtics last Thursday. It was close. The Warriors were up late, but they do lose again on the road. They turn around in the back-to-back, and without Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins, they beat the pants off the Cavs because that's just how it goes in the NBA sometimes. But then on Sunday, they lose to the Brooklyn Nets at home, and they're supposed to be kind of invulnerable at home. So you have this Warriors team that's around 500 that isn't necessarily surging, that just got Steph back, but it doesn't seem to have turned much around. They're not instantly, like, making a run. The Clippers... They lost to the Sixers and Jazz. They beat the Mavericks on Sunday. They beat the Mavericks twice in about 10 days' time. They, I thought this stat was interesting. They have not beaten a team outside of Texas <laughs> in the year 2023. Since January turned on the calendar, they've only beaten the Spurs, the Rockets, and the Mavericks. As the three teams that the Clippers have, have beaten, they've lost everybody else. The Suns, who were at their lowest point a few weeks ago, are actually starting to turn a little bit of a corner. They get Cam Johnson back. Chris Paul comes back. They get a dominant win uh, over the Grizzlies last night. They gave a solid win. The Grizzlies staged a late comeback, but they were up big in that game. And they've kind of started to turn a corner. But overall, the Suns have had chemistry issues all year. The Suns are, as we record this on Monday, 24 and 24. Um the Warriors are one game under 500. The Clippers are one game over 500. All three teams are at 24 losses. So, Albert, I'll ask you, if we're going to kick out one team right now, then say you can't bet on this team. Like, for the next, uh, until the All-Star break, okay? Like, three weeks from now, no bets. Nobody that listens to the podcast is allowed to make any sort of bets on the future for these three teams, What's the one team between the Warriors, the Clippers, and the Suns that you're kicking out? This is a great topic, Matt. I love it. Um, I, I bet the most popular answer is, is going to be Phoenix here. Um, but I'm going to choose the Clippers. They okay. are out of the three teams, only the only team that has a negative point differential. Um, they only score about 100, 109.7 points per game, one of the worst offenses in the entire league. Um, a lot of that, a lot of people are saying it's it's three-point shooting. Their three-point shooting is average, to be honest. I think the biggest point or the biggest issue with them, outside of the injuries, of course, is their just aggressiveness in, in terms of driving the paint. They're in the bottom 10 in terms of free throws made, free throws attempted, and drives to the basket. Maybe they're just less, uh, you know, taking it easy during the regular season. They'll turn that up in the in the playoffs. But as of right now, I just don't like the, the vibes in L.A., um, and we've seen with the other two teams, right? The Warriors, they've won four championships. We know that they have the pedigree and the experience to get there. Phoenix Suns, with all of their failures in the playoffs, at least we've seen them, you know, win a couple rounds in the playoffs uh, the last couple of years. And they'll have Devin Booker coming back very soon, who, you know, is a top 10, top 20 type score in the NBA. So um, for me, I think it's going to be the Clippers sitting at 25 and 24 with a negative point differential. Yeah, you know, you talked about the offense with the with the Clippers, and it's amazing to me. This number, I I can't believe this number. I just I can't I can't believe this number. Uh, at dunksandthrees.com, they do schedule adjusted offensive rating. We've, I cite that that site all the time. The Clippers are 29th in schedule adjusted offensive rating at 110.7. In like for comparison, the average offense in the league is at 
113.9. The Celtics are the best at 118. Eight points per 100 possessions between the Clippers and the Celtics is nuts. That's wild. Uh, They've also faced the easiest strength of schedule so far offensively. They've faced easy defenses, and they still have this terrible mark. Now, they're starting to shoot more threes. They started off the year, and I couldn't figure it out because I was like, why, why, why why aren't they shooting threes? This is what they've done all four years, the last four years in Los Angeles with Kawhi and PG as they shoot a ton of threes. They've moved up in terms of per 100. They they are now 12th in that category. And in percentage, they're six. Like you talk about the driving, they're never going to be like a heavy drive team. Like this is a jump shooting team. That's what they're built as. But they're, they have to shoot high percentage in volume to make up for that. And the absence of that has really killed them. And the Clippers fans' response is going to be, well, look, we haven't had our guys. And this is just like a general thing. Welcome to the NBA. They never have their guys. That They never have their guys in particular. But even if you want to move past like the idea that the Clippers are exceptional and resting guys, which you can't, but if you were to, like this is just the NBA. Like every, Everybody's missing time. I don't want to hear about it. Phoenix, Phoenix has a better offensive rating than you. Phoenix has been without Devin Booker for two months. Like They have less talent than you do. Um, you know, the Warriors without Steph Curry, they have a better offense than you. How do the Warriors who missed Steph Curry for a month and a half, how do they have better offense than you? So uh, the Clippers, I think are a mess for sure. I, I can't kick them out. I just, I can't, I can't get over the idea of like that. They're going to be, I feel like they're going to wind up in the four or five. That's what I feel like. I feel like they're going to wind up, they're going to be one game out of the plan and we're going to be like, there they are again. And then they're going to face Dallas. And they're going to beat the hell out of Dallas because they always beat the hell out of Dallas. That's the one team Dallas absolutely can't beat. And then they'll probably face the Nuggets. And that's going to be a really interesting matchup. The Nuggets have destroyed them in two games this season. They beat them once without Nikola Jokic. But like, look, you know, like Kawhi's a tough guard. PG's a tough guard. I can't get there. So then it leaves me like with this question of like, if I got, if I got to kick somebody out, like who are, are we kicking out? You know, I, I had Ken Barkley on the show on Friday. If you haven't listened to it, go check that out. It was a really great episode. And he was making the case essentially for the Warriors to be like, they've they've told us who they are. All year, they've told us who they are, which is an average team, that this team is not good enough. And history says if you don't wind up at the top three seed, you're probably not going not to make it a run for the title. The reality is you could, based off of that kind of idea, you could probably kick out all three of these teams because all three of these teams are unlikely to finish with the top three seed. But I will go ahead and say that I'm I'm kind of at the point of for right now, I want to kick out the Warriors. Yes. For right now, I want to kick out the Warriors. <laughs> um, the Suns, here's what I keep getting back to. The Suns, when before Booker went down, the Suns had the best record in the West. Like they were like I I have a aged like milk ticket on the Suns to be the number one seed in the Western Conference that I put in because I was like. They're better than everybody else. Like they've already got a lead. What's going to slow them down? Like Devin's going to get hurt for two months. Whoops. And so, but like they're getting everybody back. The Suns also have maybe the most upside to address their biggest issue, which is chemistry. Like their yeah. biggest problem is that it seems, I mean, injuries are the biggest problem. The second biggest problem is that they don't seem to like each other very much between the Jay Crowder thing and the DeAndre Ayton thing and the ownership thing and everything else. Ownership's already in the process of, of changing hands. There's a good possibility that the Suns make a trade, if not multiple deals, before now in the deadline, they have that there are uh, there are teams interested. Jay Crowder 
it's been interesting to hear kind of like the the pushback. There's been this idea of like, well, nobody really wants to trade for Jay Crowder. And like, I'm sorry, but like the Bucks in Portland are two teams, I'll tell you right now, that are interested in Drake, Jay Crowder. That doesn't mean that they're like beating the Phoenix's door down trying to get Jay Crowder, but they can make a deal if they need to. And then you got DeAndre Ayton, who is now trade eligible. And if they put Ayton into a deal, they're mm-hmm. going to get good return back. They may not get equal return for a number number one pick but they will get returned back to a team that is already good. And as long as they get a capable starting center back, that's all you really need. So there's a lot of options here, I think, for Phoenix. So I can't kick them out. I can't kick the Clippers out. So I'm kicking out the Warriors. I, they can't win on the road. And at some point, I, I one a thought entered my mind two weeks ago, and it has been rattling around ever since, Albert, and it's this. When champions go out, they usually go out sad. The mm. 2011 Los Angeles Lakers coming off of back-to-back title runs got swept by your Dallas Mavericks. Uh, The Miami Heat looked completely overwhelmed in the 2014 NBA Finals. They didn't make the finals, but they looked completely overwhelmed. So if the Warriors are at their end and there's a lot of burblings from local media that like, we don't know if this is the last run or not. And it looks like they're going to need to, to kind of pivot to try and make the most of Steph's remaining time. Mm-hmm. And that may involve moving one of the big three. If this is the last run, it's probably not going to end well because of course it ended badly, but it ended badly. It wouldn't end. So that's my pick is the golden state warriors. I mean, I love it. You know, my thoughts uh, on the warrior season, the entire year, um, they just don't play enough defense for me. Uh, You made very good points throughout the season, you know, when the big three are healthy heading into the playoffs uh, and they get a seven game series, they just end up on top. But this team just has a different vibe around them. Their whole uh, mantra going into the season, you know, building around two timelines, uh, I think it was was a little, I don't know how to say this, a little conceited to a little bit because uh or narcissistic to be able to to believe that they can basically build two winners on one team i know they're spending a a ton of money and i know uh there's a lot of investment there in, in san francisco it's a it's been an amazing run for that team the last decade um i don't know if it's the end like you're alluding to but they just don't play enough defense for me and i mean they don't win on the road, like you said, but they just lost the Nets without Kevin Durant at home, which is super embarrassing. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. If right now, I'm kicking the Warriors out of the title club while Albert's kicking out the Clippers. Sons, congrats. You are the survivor. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go to the most important covers. This is the mic drop every week. We talk about the most important covers from the weekend that was. Let's start with the Philadelphia 76ers who go 5-0 and on a West Coast road trip. There was a lot of conversation. I heard a podcast that was like, I don't know. This is a tough stretch for them. They can really fall apart here. Yeah, they went 5-0. and uh, This team is really good. Uh, they can't gain ground on Boston because Boston continues to just like be red hot. They've won nine in a row. Boston's right back to just killing everybody. I'm going to lose my under ticket on the Celtics, unfortunately. And probably going to lose my Sixers division tickets as well, which is a bummer. Uh, but I will ask you this. I kind of think that the market's asleep on the Sixers. I think this team is really good. They're balanced on both ends. If it wasn't for the matchups that I worry about, I would be probably a lot more bullish and probably buying futures on the Sixers right now. I'll just ask you this, though. Are the Sixers the second best team in the Eastern Conference? I think so as of today. If you were to take out the injury situation, right, and Beats miss a few games, Harden's missed a, a lot of games, Maxi's missed a lot of games, 
being four and a half games behind the Celtics, they arguably could have the same record right now, right? And the Celtics have been on fire and they're running away right now with the East. Um, the fact that the Sixers, in my opinion, if they were at full strength the entire year, they would have competed for this number one spot. I think, uh, you know, the sentiments that you're making, though, I think the market is asleep on this team. Uh, there's a lot of hype around the Celtics. The Nets had their run, and they know once Kevin Durant comes back, there's going to be a lot of hype around the Nets. The Bucks, we've seen Giannis, you know, take that team on his back and and go to the finals before. So, um, out of those four teams, the Sixers are probably the ones that are being overlooked, especially in a city right now where you know everyone's focused on the Eagles, so no one's really talking about the Sixers sure. as well. So, um, I like it a lot. Night to night, it's been a great. Um, great you know great opportunity backing them from a betting perspective and then from a player prop market every time james harden is out just look at Ty tyrese maxi that guy is an amazing you know scorer and when he puts his head down i don't think anybody can stay in front of him their path needs to probably be a two or three seed they need to get in the two three bracket because if the celtics are the one what the what the sixers need to do is they need to put as many teams in front of boston before they have to face them as possible um, the history of Al Horford and just the Celtics in general, their success against Embiid is impressive. Like they just have his number. They screw him up with doubles. They really turn him over a lot. And like, he's just had a really hard time beating Boston. So I think getting a two or three seed is going to have to be really important for them. They need to get ahead of Milwaukee or Brooklyn finish in the two, three. Now I like them versus Brooklyn or Milwaukee. I think that Milwaukee's offense is genuinely going to have troubles keeping up with the Sixers, given that they've got enough firepower behind Embiid and Harden and Maxi, Like that's enough firepower to probably get by. And they have the defense. Like this team's defense is, is underrated too. I actually looked this up because I was curious about it. They're only two points worse with Harden on the floor per hundred possessions defensively. That's the most narrow differential I've seen on Harden splits in a long time. Uh, also, the overall number is still at like 113, which is fine. When you're facing starters, that's a totally okay number. So Harden has not brought their defense down. That's huge. If they're able to defend with Harden on the floor, that's going to carry them a long way. Uh, Brooklyn obviously doesn't have the stuff inside. So if they can do that and then just throw as many teams, if either Brooklyn or Milwaukee winds up in the 4-5, along with maybe Cleveland, yeah. throw one of those two teams at Boston and hope that that team knocks out Boston, put as many teams between you and the Celtics as possible. Hope that somebody knocks them out. And that to me is the Sixers path to the Eastern conference title. Uh, let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Woof, we got breaking news as we set to record this podcast. They've traded or are very close to finishing a trade for Rui Hachimura from the Washington Wizards. They're going to send Kendrick Nunn and multiple second rounders. They're not having to give up those first round picks to get Rui Hachimura. The Lakers are also surging. Um, they've been on an absolute hot streak lately. The Los Angeles Lakers, as we record this, uh, are in currently in the 12th spot in the Western Conference, but they are just a game back of the sixth seed in the loss column. That, that's crazy, but it's true. They are yeah. just one back of the Clippers from being in sixth. That's it. Like, it's it's wild that that's where they're at, but they're six and four in their last 10. They got the big win uh, versus the Grizzlies over the weekend. Got that one. That was a huge one. And then came back from 25 down versus Portland on Sunday. This Rui Hachimura trade, I think, is a slam dunk, too. 
I've loved what I've seen of Rui this year. He's playing big. He's playing physical. There are defensive questions. I actually think with right coaching, he's going to be really good. I think under Ham, he's going to have an opportunity. He gives them size, length, and shooting. And that combination, I think, is going to be really good for them. I've loved what I've seen of Hachimura. The fact that the Wizards let him go for just second rounders and none, to me, is unconscionable. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, but this is a really good pickup for them. I'm starting to wonder if the Lakers might actually work their, themselves into the playoffs, Albert. Yeah, I think this is a great trade by Rob Palinka and that front office in, in LA. You have a fort with Anthony Davis coming back, uh, Matt. Now you have a, a you know a, a, a Mount Rushmore if you are front four of Rui Thomas Bryant, who's been playing out of his mind. He's balling out of control right now for the Lakers. Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I mean, that's a really solid. Uh, you know, power forward center combination there with those four players. Rui Hachimura, I know he was hurt for a lot of last year. He he almost shot 45% from three, 44.7% from three. That's going to be a nice addition to this team. Obviously, he's only shooting 33.7 this year. There's been a lot of, you know, uh, unrest when it comes to the the lineup there in Washington. So it's it's hard to get consistent minutes. He's only averaging 24.3 minutes. But I mean, he's a solid, uh, solid uh, player, 6'8", a lot of good size, athleticism, can guard multiple positions. That's always going to be important when you're playing with LeBron James. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the Lakers are actually trending in the the right direction, which is something we couldn't have said, you know, a month ago. So um, props to LA, props to Rob Palenka. And, and honestly, LeBron James, you know, since turning 38, everybody sees those numbers on Twitter. It's been crazy what he's doing. And he's put this team on his back just in time for Anthony Davis to return. The Lakers plus 170 in the market right now to make the playoffs. So a little bit of value there uh, if you're a buyer on the Los Angeles Lakers. A lot of teams that got to get past. You know, and the play-in tournament presents a lot of, of tough situations there. They'll probably be favored if they're in the play-in tournament, though, just based off of the public sentiment towards them and LeBron and AD. So might be a buy-low spot. I'm not going to bet it yet, but I'm, I'm definitely interested in – where the Lakers go from here. It's still hard to believe this roster is this good. I think Darvin Ham deserves a lot of credit for making this roster kind of come together with guys like Max Christie and Nunn and mm-hmm. these type of dudes. So having LeBron goes a long way, but he's figured out a lot of the other answers as well. Uh, my last question for you on the most important covers this week, Albert, is why can't your Dallas Mavericks beat the Clippers? <laughs> like Everyone I, else can beat the Clippers, but the Dallas Mavericks can't beat the Clippers. Why can't the Mavericks, Mavericks beat the Clippers? Yeah, when when you look at the the rosters, I think the Clippers just match up really, really well against Dallas. They have three or four solid wing defenders to throw at Luka. Uh, so they match it up between, you know, Nunn and, and Paul George, and then they put Kawhi in the fourth quarter. And it's really hard to to just play against Kawhi and it's not even on Luka to be honest because Luka is playing well against the Lakers and or sorry against the Clippers individually um but then when you look at the the supporting cast uh they just take a step down when they play against the Clippers and both teams play really slow so when you play slow you know you kind of play into the Clippers hands there I I couldn't tell you the 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 real reason or the you know the focal reason here but uh, I definitely don't want to face them in the playoffs. You mentioned that it could be a four or five matchup. I would pick the Clippers in that in that uh, potential series for sure. All right. And as we do every week, we're going to go over the awards. And if we had to bet them, who we bet on right now, we'll tell you if we're actually going to put a bet in on them. Uh, we'll start with MVP. For me right now, Luka Doncic is the best value plus 430. Um, we just talked about the Mavericks and how they're struggling. They're against the spread record over the last 20 games. is horrific. Like this team is frustrating. The reason that they're so bad against the spread though, is because their underlying metrics are good. They're actually top 10 in my power ratings. 
And every time I look at that, I'm like, how? And like this does kind of explain it though, is that the underlying metrics say that the Mavericks should be better and they just find ways to lose. Over a long enough timeline, a team with those underlying metrics probably figure out ways to win. They have some trade cards up their sleeve that could probably wind up hurting or helping Luca. I don't think they trade for anybody ball dominant that takes away any of his usage. His numbers are still going to be nuts. It would just be augmentary things. So for me, I think Luca plus 430 is the value given how crazy the market has gone towards Nikola Jokic in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I agree with you. I th- I still think this is a two-man race, and I think it's a lot closer than what the the odds are suggesting. I think a lot of the the changes in the odds right now, Jokic at minus 110 as the betting favorite, and he justifiably should be the betting favorite, is really contingent on team success right now. You mentioned it. Denver has been unbelievable. They're surging. They're first in the West. They've won nine in the last 10 games, whereas the Mavericks are sliding a little bit. They've only won three of the last 10. They're fifth in the West. And even if they play amazing the rest of the way, I think the peak for them is third in the West just because the first two teams have kind of separated themselves from the pack. So with that being said, I I do think it's still a a night-to-night thing, a week-to-week thing when it comes to Luka and Jokic and 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 the numbers that they, you know, uh, produce for their teams. It's really just um, can the, the teams normalize in terms of wins and losses. And if they can, I think Luka is going to be a pretty good bet uh, coming down the stretch. Sixth man of the year, I'll go with Malcolm Brogdon, plus 240 at FanDuel. Uh, I was talking about this with Ken Barkley. He's the safe pick. You popped high in the media poll. Russ didn't get any votes in that media poll that came out at NBA.com. Russ is still the heavy favorite. I feel like this is going to be a default award where Russ winds up getting dealt or starts or something or something changes and Russ or Russ just the numbers go sideways and people realize like he's more of a detriment. I think the voters already kind of believe that he's more of a negative, even though his actual net rating is positive. Uh, so I'll go with Brogdon here, plus 240. It's the safe pick. I'm really tired of trying to figure this award out. Uh, Norman Powell is up to second in scoring, but I just wind up believing that there's nobody to get that's at the 18-point threshold that we've seen historically. Uh, it's got has gone to teams, uh, to guys on teams that have won. So I'll take Brogdon plus 240 and take the safe bet here. Yeah, I like that look a lot. For me, it's going to be Benedict Matherin. Um, you mentioned this. It's usually to the team that wins, and the Pacers are not winning. I think they've lost seven straight. Um, but, I mean, Benedict as a as an individual player has been awesome, especially in January. He's gone through, you know, that proverbial rookie wall, if you will. There's been 11 games in January. He scored double figures in, in 10 of those 11 games. Uh, his efficient efficiency numbers have cooled off, right? Three-point shooting and free-throw shooting has been a, a little down. Field goal shooting as well. But that's because there's been an uptake, uptick of usage with Tyrese Halliburton being out. But he's kind of negated that, Matt, because he's starting to attack the rim a lot more. This previous game, he was 11 for 11 from the free-throw line. I think he was 9 for 10 the game before that. So I do like Benedict Matherin for six-man. He's not going to win rookie of the year, so hopefully he wins something. For most improved player, I'll take Shea Gilgis-Alexander at plus 140. You're getting a plus 140 on Shea. I went back and forth on Ken about this because he didn't appear in the media poll on most improved player. Laurie got a ton of votes. Laurie's taking a lot of money, which you've seen in the odds. Um, he's moved. Laurie Market has moved to minus 140. I think it's probably a little early. Look, I still kind of think this is going to wind up with what team has the most momentum at the end of the year. Not just because the team performance will influence the vote. But I also think that 
whoever is still competing is going to be involved in more meaningful games and probably putting up bigger numbers. There won't be as many rest spots. They won't get shut down. The Thunder are really good right now. Like they're legitimately moving towards a play-in spot. They've been competitive. And if Shea Gillis Alexander is anywhere near the playoffs, given that I think he's almost a lock to be a first-time all-star this season, I don't see any way that Shea Gillis Alexander doesn't win most improved player if in fact, uh, he winds up with the kind of numbers that he has had all season and the Thunder are competitive. So I'll take Shea Gilgis Alexander at plus one one forty. Yeah, you know me, Matt. I both I love both of those guys, Laurie and Shea. Uh for me, I'm gonna talk about Nicholas Claxon at plus eight thousand today. Um, this this award historically has always been focused on offense, right? Scoring number jumps. Uh, rebounding number jumps, things like that. But Nicholas Claxton has been awesome on defense, especially as of late, right? There's been people in and out of the lineup. Uh, it's been an undersized team, the Nets. Uh, but, you know, he's averaged 3.2 blocks in December, 3.6 blocks in January. He's not going to win defensive player of the year. Um, but I think I've I've really, really enjoyed his improvements on the defensive end. So for me, I, I like it at plus 8,000 as, you know, the most improved defensive player if we had that award. In a weird year, that would be the weirdest <laughs> ever if a defensive player won most, impro- most improved. Uh, you mentioned him that you don't think he'll win defensive player of the year. I, I think right now for defensive player of the year, if you have not bet Jaron Jackson Jr., who is minus 195, we're getting to the point where you've chased where you're probably chasing too much steam at this point. Um, minus 200 is probably my threshold to be like, uh, now, now we're in kind of a, you're, you're at too much of a liability for where the rest of the season can go. Um, if you've already bet Jaron Jackson jr. Cause you've been listening to this pod and we bet him like the last six weeks or so. <laughs> yep. For me, it's Nick Claxton. I'll just tell you, I feel really confident in this Albert. I think that if Jaron Jackson jr. Gets hurt, can't play enough games, doesn't finish the year, the Nick Claxton wins it. Um, He's the most versatile big on the board. He's got the block rate that you mentioned. That block rate really matters. You have to have some sort of tangible stat to go with the defensive numbers. He's advocating for himself openly. I actually think that that helps guys that want to win the awards get consideration for the awards. And so him being out there saying, I'm DPOI, even if it's a little bit obnoxious the way he's done it, I actually think that that helps his case. So I think that if you're trying to find like, what do I do about the injury risk to Jaron Jackson? Cause he's already missed so many games to me. It's you need to be betting Nick Claxton plus 700 right now. Um, I don't think that there, I think that that's one, two in the ballot. If it was taken right now. I think the market right now is set perfectly. Jaron Jackson as the front runner makes sense. I think if you haven't bet him yet, I still think it's a good bet right now at minus 195. If you're looking for insurance in terms of injuries there for Jaron Jackson Jr., it's going to be between Brooke and Nick Claxton. Brooks, you know, uh, you know, noise when it comes to the DPOY has kind of cooled off or has cooled off a lot since the the start of the year. Um, but I still think, you know, at the end of the year, people are going to look at the entire season. I mean, for me, I think it's going to be Brooke Lopez. He's still the anchor on one of the best defenses um, in the entire NBA. Same with Nick Claxton. I think you can't go wrong here. I think if you're looking for, you know, insurance in terms of injuries, either of those are good because you're getting plus 700. Maybe just bet both, right? Um, with that being said, I think I like Brooke Lopez just because of the early noise when it comes to DPOI with him. 
All right, that's going to do it for Buckets. Thanks for joining us for the weekend recap. You can follow Albert on Twitter at Analytics Capper. You can follow me on Twitter and the Action Network app at HP Basketball. Our thanks to David, our producer. We'll see you guys again next week. We'll be back tomorrow with another Best Bets episode. Best Bets episodes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Futures Friday later this week. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys again next time. Till then, let's get Buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.